I think it can be easy to think that the product that you've created, you know, once it's there, it is the solution and it doesn't need to change. But the market changes, what customers are wanting changes as well. Uh, it changes in different regions as well. So we've always been trying to think about how do we make sure that the, the product that we have is the right fit. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we have guest Harry Flett joining us from Tracksuit. How are you, Harry? How are you doing, Paul? I'm good. Good, yeah. good. Well, your first time on the show, so yes. we need to start out with an introduction of what do you do? Where, you, where do you fit into this big wide world of tech and startups in New Zealand? Sure. Uh, I currently lead product at Tracksuit, which is a brand tracking platform that was launched just over a couple of years ago now. And uh, I come from a finance background, but have somehow ended up in this big world of tech and startups and SaaS here in, in Auckland. And um, I'm responsible for trying to figure out what we build and where we take the Tracksuit platform. That's exciting because... Um, Tracksuit's been moving and growing very quickly. You were telling me before the show that uh, last year when you joined the business, there were, what, five of you? Five of us. And there's now, you know, I think ten, 48, 49 Nearly of us 10 times as many people. Growing every week. So, so That's incredible. Yeah, it's been just over a year and a half, and it's been a, a crazy, a crazy journey with the other the other week we had four people join, which for a 48, 49 person company, that's, you know, just over a tenth of the company joining in a, in a single week. So yeah. it's been a lot of fun. Wow, that's cool. Well, we're really looking forward to, you know, delving in and, and hearing a little bit about uh, that that journey and what it's like sort of working in the world of product and what is the the, the world of product and, you know, a bit about, uh, you know, the, the startup world and, mm-hmm. and those experiences. Um, but as usual, we like to sort of delve into some of the some of the interesting things that are going on in the, in the broader uh, tech world. So we will do that in a moment. Uh, but first up, a big thank you to our show partners, to 1NZ, uh, 2 Degrees, Spark, HP, and guerrilla technology. Now, into the New Zealand news, um, one story that, uh, that that caught me, uh, I saw some some local coverage, but then it it was picked up um, globally, and this was the headline on the register, New Zealand's supermarket recipe generating AI takes toxic output to a new level. Some of its suggestions are poison. Um, and then it goes on to say others like, Banana and tomato tea might as well be, uh, might as well be poison. Um, so this was um, based around uh, the Savvy Meal Bot, which is is yep. you know some smart sort of um, you know branding and a, and a sort of smart play from you know pack and save on on a place to uh, I, I guess on on ways to sort of save money, feed in the ingredients you've got and and you know what what have you got sitting in the fridge and yep. it'll give you it'll give you a recipe uh, which is you could do the same or something somewhat similar um, presumably by taking what you a list of what you've got in your fridge, fire them into chat GPT or another yep. AI tool and it's going to come out yep. uh, with a with a suggestion. Um, but you know they've they've uh, they've built that, and look, this is kind of what we expect people to do, right? Is to kind of you know push and and see what fun they can have yeah. uh, with uh, with with chatbots and 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 AI and so on. Um, now, since this this scenario, uh, which included. Um, uh, from yeah, what was reported was was someone had a bit of a play around with it, uh, and was suggesting creating something with ammonia, bleach, and and wa- water, and of course the uh, I think GPT uh, three point five API, you know, came back with a cocktail made with a cup of ammonia, uh, a quarter cup of bleach, and 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 two liters of. Uh, Water and mixing bleach and ammonia uh, releases toxic uh, chloramine gas, which uh, is is probably not so good for uh, for for an individual. Um, so yeah, that was um, obviously somebody just having a bit of fun with it, and in, in reality, uh, that's probably not what anybody's going to see putting in their normal uh, yeah. normal ingredients. But I see that they've uh, they've locked it down. We had a bit of a uh, a bit of a play with it before, 
Um, what what's what's your thought? I mean, as a as a branding person, this is you know it's got a nice pack and save logo on it, and uh, it looked very uh, very easy to use. And I guess the change they've made is you can't put in those uh, um, you know dodgy ing- ingredients now. You have to pick from a, a, a preset uh, list. So yeah, I think <laughs> I think you know the world of large language models and how fast we're moving in the space presents such a big opportunity to everyone. Uh, but there's a lot of risks as as well. Um, and like all of these tools, you know, they are pretty open to attacks or bad actors trying to prompt a, a bad response out of them. So it, it definitely can be, it's a double-edged sword uh, for, to play in this arena. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't imagine too many people are, are taking no. you know, it, it, it very seriously and I can't imagine it doing, you know, really doing any any major harm to their to their brand I wouldn't have thought if, if any really um, because someone you know someone's just having a little bit of um, you know being a little bit cheeky cheeky with it but you know these these headlines I guess do it's part of what sticks in in, in people's uh, minds about the trustworthiness of a brand so I guess you know every little bit sort of maybe has 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 some impact what do they used to say um, all publicity is good publicity. So I'm not sure if that's actually. I don't think that's actually the case. But um, um, yeah, I thought. You know, I thought. Look, I I like that we've got, uh, you know, innovation brands sort of doing fun things, experimenting with with the technology. Uh, I would imagine if you if you kind of you know look at that grocery and supermarket sort of sector that there's probably a whole lot of uses for artificial intelligence. And, and using of, of the large language models and, and the APIs that they can draw on. Uh, and I guess this was sort of something that, that came out of that, that they could, you know, mm. put, put uh, you know, public facing. Mm. Uh, good stuff. Now, um, there's, been, there's been a little bit of uh, coverage around uh, the South Island's uh, last United uh, video store uh, apparently uh, shutting, shutting down. Uh, according to uh, TVNZ News, and I think um, RNZ sort of published uh, published something down that track. Um, we're kind of getting getting used to uh, technology causing disruptions and in all sorts of different areas. But I was I was a little bit curious um, when when Joel and our, our producer mentioned, well, actually, there's it's you know the. That might be the case in the South Island, but up here in the North Island, there's there's still uh, still a bit of activity. And Google Maps shows uh, United Video Store in Morrinsville and one in Masterton. Now, if you were sort of halfway between the two and they're a fair fair distance apart, um, according to the uh, Google reviews, you'd be heading north because it's uh, they get a 4.9 review on uh, on Google for their Morrinsville United go. Video Store. Yeah. Are, are any of the other chains left? Video Easy, Blockbuster. Yeah, I'm not. I'm those? not. I'm not sure that there are in New Zealand. I think United Video is probably the um, um, the one holding the, out the, the the main one left in in NZ. But um, yeah, what do we got here? Video Easy uh, wrapped up in Pons. Yeah, their Ponsonby Road uh, store about five five years ago. So um, yes, that's. Uh, that's the changing times, uh, and yeah, there's. I mean, there's so many lessons in there when when you look at the the possibility for um, yeah, disruption and what existing players should 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 do. Uh, and of course, you know, Netflix had had offered them offered themselves uh, for sale to Blockbuster, hadn't they? That's right. Uh, I think uh, you know, fifty million. Uh, Fifty million dollars, sort of back in the day, and then it wasn't too many years after that that um, uh, that blockbuster hit the wall. And I haven't looked at the current price of uh, uh, net Netflix, but um, I think it's uh, for for a while it's been sitting certainly well over a hundred um, hundred billion in the market cap. Here we are, hundred eighty nine billion. Uh, US uh, dollars today, so uh, yeah, uh, it sort of puts puts to shame what uh, you know what Blockbuster was was ever ever worth. So uh, yeah, um, now this one sort of caught my attention was 
the Commerce Commission giving clearance for Microsoft to buy uh, Activision, and and so you know this is about you know Microsoft acquiring a a, a gaming uh, company that makes you know Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, and and so on. Um, it is it's kind of fascinating that with an acquisition like this that they they actually have to go out and get uh, you know get the approval, approval in the markets in which in which they operate and. I read um, I read something somewhere else saying that that Microsoft had 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 the approval on something like forty nine different markets, mm. um, but uh, yeah, there's still there's still a, a little way to go. I think the, U- Is it the, the UK, UK that was kind of it? was kind of the main one that um, yep. that I'd seen that was sort of pushing back. So you could have you know ninety you know. Eight percent of the world saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine," and uh, and a regulator and um, I mean, yeah, if it was say just if it was new, if it was the other way and it was New Zealand, yep. then the reg, you know Microsoft might have said, "Fine, screw you, we you know we just won't do business in New Zealand." Yeah, anymore. do you think so, they'll do that for the UK? Um, I think the the UK is a really big market, so I think they're gonna they've got a bit of work to to cut mm-hmm. out for them to to see if they can pull it off. Um, yeah, it is. It is quite uh, you know quite fascinating these uh, the, these these scenarios. So um, yeah, and and there's been some coverage again on, and we've we've talked about this you know probably more than once in the in the past around how the commerce how the yeah, under the the fair the fair trading act that uh, what was you know Vodafone New Zealand. Got sort of slapped down for how they they branded their coaxial fiber uh, service, which was FiberX, and um, yeah, a big fine, three point six seven five million uh, million dollars for for that one. Yeah, I, I, look, I found this fascinating when you know last time we talked about it because yeah, to me it was. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem like um, like the appropriate way to uh, handle it. It, did, it didn't. It didn't seem sort of too far off the branding uh, for me. But one of the things that that they did highlight and was that if you at the time if you went to the Vodafone uh, website and were looking for uh, connectivity to your home and you were in one of those areas. Uh, with the coaxial fiber uh, service, then they wouldn't show you um, the ultra-fast broadband, the you know the standard fiber that 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 Kiwis were sort of looking for, and the indication was well that could create the perception from uh, from consumers that actually there was no right. you know full-blown ultra-fast broadband fiber uh, service available. Um, I might have missed that in, in some of the previous um, coverage, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite a, a chunky fine uh, for that. But uh, I guess that's that's the nature of these things. We have these government entities; they've got to uh, make a make a call, and um, I'm not not always in agreement with them. But uh, yeah, hopefully, they generally do a do a good job for us and and uh, and for for consumers. So. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a there's a there's a bit of pain and a bit of uh, you know brand damage when these sorts of uh, these sorts of things um, happen. Um, but it, possibly you know there's there's also a reflection on this being something of kind of the older Vodafone, mm. and I think we've seen a lot of a lot of change under under um, you know Jason Paris's leadership, um, you know in in recent years. So um, I'm. I'm kind of hopeful we won't see these sort of things coming out of one NZ in the in the years years ahead. But uh, you know, you never say never because you 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 can't get everything uh, everything right when you're doing. I think you know, there's a lot of marketing that our big telcos do right, and I think big all businesses. of them have been have been uh, slapped in one direction or another for for missteps. So mm. yeah, getting on to sort of on an international side, um, Zoom we'd we'd heard about have. Have been you know moving moving people back to the office, which was kind of interesting. The other thing where they were getting some uh, some attention for was their new uh, terms of service, and sort of basically saying that they could use you know potentially be using your your data, your calls, and have a license to do whatever they wanted with uh, with what is going on in your in your private calls. 
and I see they've now they've now sort of flipped on that and and are saying, um, you know, they're not going to use the content of your calls to uh, to train their um, AI systems. But yeah, I saw a bunch of people were were kind of sharing these new terms of service across on on social media, and it seemed really head scratching. Actually, this is you know when when you're having you know private calls and conversations. Mm. Um, you know that are, that are valuable to to your business. You know the last thing you want to be doing is sort of signing off that your service provider um, can't do whatever they want with uh, with your data. Surely, yeah. As, did you see? I think it it might have been Samsung. I think and and you know there's a risk with all of these tools. Again, they they provide some utility to your business, but they also prevent risks. And I think it might have been Samsung where employees were using. Uh, I think they were using ChatGPT to solve some problems and it ended up being what they had fed in, ended up training some of ChatGPT's models and then was resurfacing to other non-Samsung employees, I believe it was. You know, there was confidential their, their information. confidential intellectual property is, is now available to the world. Right. <laughs> it's things to be aware of, you know, as consumers yeah. with this technology is, is that the utility you get can sometimes come at a cost. Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking about this with a client that we do sessions with sort of in person and, and through online training, but we were doing a, an in-person uh, session with, with, a, with a, a couple of the teams last week uh, going through, you know, what are the latest things to understand from a cybersecurity and a data privacy mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and, and one of those was, you know, exactly that. But not just it's not just with, say, a chat GPT. It's... Yeah, any tool that a staff member decides, oh, yeah, I've got this favorite tool. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna put all my company notes and stuff in that tool. And you know, if that's not going through your organizational sort of, you know, practices and uh, processes, then yeah, potentially you end up with IP that's floating around all over the web and all sorts of different. Uh, places, so it, you know it is actually quite important to uh, to think about these things. Um, and one of the other areas we've seen, um, yeah, becoming a, a, an area of of issue um, increasingly is uh, screen sharing in, in video calls. Mm. So that the common practice is, I'll just share my whole screen, and then you know, boom, 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 and uh, access to everyone's yeah. tabs, see what else yeah, is open, yeah, yeah. private chats, and so on. So you know, it's and and it is a little bit of a journey because um, you know. We, we we still have to encourage. I have to encourage my own team to kind of follow these practices as well. And um, you know, um, some, sometimes people will will forget that, even if it, if that's the sort of the standard that you're encouraging everybody uh, to. So um, yeah, these are all things we have to keep keep thinking about, keep working on. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Bankman Fried, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the who was the CEO at uh, at FTX, who of course uh, fell over um, last year, um, he's gone to jail. Looked like he was kind of uh, living a pretty good life, sort of you know, for a while there. Uh, for yeah, for for a period, uh, seemed seemed to be uh, okay out on bail, but yeah, he. Um, didn't exactly uh, follow the rules, shall we say? So, yeah, I guess that that's the nature of being out on bail. You uh, you have to uh, follow follow, the, follow the, the guidance that you're giving. And um, you know, there was a, a suggestion um, that he was uh, you know trying to uh, tamper with one of the individuals that's going to be involved with the, with the trial and sort of in, interfere uh, there, which is. Um, yeah, not not usually uh, con- considered uh, appropriate. So, uh, a few lessons, but so some of these situations that we've we've seen over over recent uh, years, where there's just such big amounts of money uh, and wealth that are, that seem to be created in a very very short space of time. I guess not created. It's kind of come from a whole lot of different people. In the case of FTX, so there's a whole lot of people that have got. Uh, that have got you know burnt, that have you know effectively been um, you know de- defrauded. So um, it is kind of nice to know that the that the the law has some teeth here, and he you know um, as an offender hasn't followed the rules, so he's got to uh, he's got to do the time. Mm-hmm. 
whatever the consequences. Yeah. Um, now, you may have also seen around um, Virgin Galactic, they've finally got their, um, you know, some some space uh, tourists. And, you know, we've had people in New Zealand for for a long time that have been uh, signed up with Virgin uh, Galactic to be able to uh, get to get to space uh, and uh, yeah they're uh, they're away and um, and and you know taking people up to uh, I guess the the edge of space and a, and a bit of uh, you know weightlessness and so on uh, in their in their space plane which is is quite encouraging because we saw virgin orbit um, uh, you know fail earlier on in the year and um, and then Rocket Lab, you know, bought up some of their some of their assets in in, in recent months, um, but there's been this this dream of people being able to get to space for a semi reasonable fee. Would you do it if you got the chance? Um, yeah, it's it's a re- it's a really good question. I'm I'm not sure that for I don't know a minute or two worth of worth of weightlessness that that's to me, that doesn't kind of feel like going to – doesn't sort of seem like that's going to space. Mm. Uh, it seems like you've got to go a little bit further. And I'm unlikely to be able to afford a, um, a, a ticket on, on you know, a, a Falcon 9, um, you know, up to the space station or, or anything like that anytime soon. Um, interestingly, I see Virgin Galactic's uh, fees have have actually gone up uh, a fair – Chunk as as well. I remember hearing them um, around. I think it was something like quarter of a million uh, was what it was for their kind of you know ninety minute um, trip. But it's uh, according to the latest thing I've read, it, it's now up to four hundred and fifty thousand um, you know US dollars. So you know we're heading in the direction of three quarters of a million dollars uh, for a uh, a ninety-minute trip. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's yeah. The, what's the yeah. view from where they get from up there? Do you see much, or is it more the weightlessness they're experiencing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they. Yeah, you do. You do get a view, but um, you know, I guess. And and what we've got, you know, now is we've got you know three companies that are, uh, yeah, that are that are competing to take yeah. people either up to the edge of space or, or into orbit, and and you know from um, with with SpaceX. So we've got some options, but yeah, it is big bucks. How about you? Does this sort of thing interest you? I think it does in the in the future, but I think um, like everything, things will get safer, things will get cheaper and more affordable. Um, they'll get more predictable, and then yeah, I can, in the future, you know, I can see myself doing something like this. Maybe not at those price points, but <laughs> yeah, sometimes depends what inflation does, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, look, I think you know we we are getting into a time where the, the cost of of you know putting anything in space is is coming down. It is, and yeah, as you say, there's, there's it's going to get safer, and there's that sort of confidence that builds as these things become more and more sort of I'm not sure it'll become pedestrian quite anytime soon, but very very um, very very safe and something that, that that's done regularly. But you know we still do see oddities and, and safety issues. Mm when it comes to space and so yeah there's a, a, a recognition that uh, that there's there's a fair bit of risk and these things aren't still aren't that easy getting easier but there's this yeah. they're still still not so easy it, it's been interesting actually looking at um, looking at the stock prices of some of these different uh, these different firms that are involved in the space sector and you know because you've got the scenario where yeah, SpaceX stock isn't sort of you know publicly uh, traded, and they're you know they're far and away you know so much mm. uh, bigger and more successful than anyone else. I guess people are looking at at all these other stocks. I see, um, yeah, um, what is it? Looks like about probably one point eight billion uh, in New Zealand dollars would be the market cap for Virgin Virgin uh, you know Galactic. So yeah, these these companies that aren't necessarily doing a, a huge amount of uh, business at this point in time, mm. um, you know, often actually uh, end up as as pretty uh, you know pretty valuable um, entities. So yeah, it is quite a um, interesting area to to watch, and and it's great uh, seeing some Kiwi companies as well, and you know, in the space with Rocket Lab and 
Dawn Aerospace as well. So it's great to see some Kiwis that, you know, we're not getting left behind in this in this race. Yeah, do you find it in, inspiring just, yeah. you know, seeing their, their successes and what they're achieving? I, it's great seeing, again, NZ get a place on the world stage and some recognition for the hard work that a bunch of Kiwis are doing, um, not getting left behind. Yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. No, I think, yeah, super exciting and, and, and really encouraging. Um, well, let, let's jump in, um, Harry, and, and hear a little bit about what, what you do. So your product lead at uh, at Tracksuit, um, the, this 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 product term, um, maybe you can describe to listeners that aren't you know aren't so familiar. What is a, a product lead or a product manager or a product owner? Mm. You know what are what are these roles you know all about? You find at at these businesses there is some wicked talent both in engineering and both in design, um, but half of the challenge is actually figuring out what problems to solve or how far down a certain path you, you go. So I think mm. of the, the role of product as um, channeling the voice of the customer, um, channeling the voice of the, of the business and figuring out the overarching strategy and then working with the engineers and designers to bring some of that to, to life. So you know, I say my job is to um, say no to 95% of things and say yes to the right 5%. And the way that you do that is you... You talk to customers every day. Uh, you talk to the business, and you keep close with the people who are doing the building, the engineers and the and the designers, to figure out um, how you how you tackle it. But a lot of different organisations have different takes on the the role of product. I think for some people, it can be a role as a, a project manager, where you've already promised something, yes, and it's about delivering what you've promised. Yep. I think really good product is where you're given the space to figure out what are the problems that you should be mm. solving and the opportunities you want to be playing. And there's as much to the discovery side of things, figuring out what to build as there is actually going and building the thing. Yep. So maybe um, to sort of, I guess, you know, provide some um, some context, you know, run listeners through, um, you know, what tracksuit, what tracksuit is and, and, yeah. and what you're all all about. Yeah. Um, and, and then, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear, um, yeah, a, a little bit more about yeah how you how you what make pro- it all happen. What product looks like here? Yeah, so it came from the observation that there in the D 2 C era there were some amazing companies growing really really quickly in the world of cheap Facebook ads and performance marketing. The likes of you're talking direct to consumer direct brands. to consumer brands. That's yep. uh, play, yep. people like Allbirds selling their sneakers direct to consumers and Warby yep. Parker and yep. these are epic companies. Um, but I think w- what what we've seen is that these companies can grow really fast initially yep. and then that growth can plateau. And the way we think about that is that as a business, you have a responsibility to sell and market to the consumers that are wanting to buy right now, the existing demand, but you also have a job to grow the future demand that's out there. Of course, it's very tempting to focus on the existing demand that's right in front of you and try to convert that. But you know, as we've seen, especially when the cost of performance marketing is going up and it's your ad dollars aren't getting quite the same returns, we're seeing that companies are realizing that perhaps they were underinvesting in brand or this was something that they weren't playing in. And and so the first step in in delving into the world of creating future demand of actually looking at growing the potential market. Um, is actually being able to measure the impact of what you're of what you're doing, mm, and so mm. marketers have solved this traditionally by working with research agencies that send surveys out and try to understand what consumers think and feel about brands and yep. um, what proportion of people know and, and recognize them and setting a benchmark and then trying to to move that. The only problem with that is it can be prohibitively expensive. Uh, And so what we've done is we've taken, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're doing something very similar to um, a lot of really big, successful businesses out there, but we've turned it into a SaaS solution. So we've slimmed it down, we've automated it, um, and we've turned it into something that's hopefully beautiful, affordable, um, and always on. And so it gives marketers the powers to actually measure the progress they're making in this world of brand and how they're growing that future demand. And they can marry what we measure up with 
all the other metrics that they already have in their day-to-day of the, the existing conversion and um, harvesting of existing demand that they have. Right. seems to me that it's potentially going to open up a much bigger market of organisations that, are, that yeah. are, you know, would draw... Um, you know, on on you know tracking the success of their brand because you know you think of if you're getting a bespoke service that's usually very very expensive. You move to a SaaS or software as a service, um, you know, solution, then the cost you know dramatically drops. Right? I mean, what are we talking about in terms of in 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 your market for yeah. say access to a SaaS offering compared to some some of the others? Is it like a, a tenth of the price? Or? Yeah, you'd be looking at. Ten to twenty thousand dollars, which will be a, a tenth of the price for a sort of similar service that you might get. Um, and I think the real value is, you know, as a marketer, things move so so quickly. The mm. kind of research that you want to do is you want what we call always on research, where yes. you've always got surveys live and you're always talking to consumers to stay up to date with how your marketing is is tracking. And to to get an always on tracker traditionally can cost 10 times that that amount. And so if you don't go for an always on solution, you're stuck trying to do research once, twice a year. And that can be really hard to measure your progress as a marketer just with these one-offs every every now and then. Um, and so yeah, we've taken this always on solution and tried to try to make it a lot more affordable. And you're right, the the reason we came about was that Previously unavailable and TRA, they were our founding founding partners. Um, TRA is one of these market research agencies that have done this sort of brand research for a long time, um, playing with much bigger players. Uh, and then on the other hand, they joined forces with Previously Unavailable, who they're a venture studio. They work with a lot of small emerging brands. They've been working with the likes of Arepa, AF Drinks. Uh, and what they found was that a lot of a lot of these smaller brands didn't have access to anything that could help them quantify the way they're growing their brand. And a lot of these are really brand-led companies, the likes of Arepa, like they've really been leaning into, um, you know, their their image and their perception and really um, driving that with consumers, but they just didn't have an option to, to, to go go for. And so it was the combination of the recogni- recognition of that problem with smaller brands not having access to a solution combined with, the research experience of TRA who said, hold on, there's parts of this process that could probably be automated and slimmed down and maybe the two could meet in the middle and find something to kind of open the market up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, that, that's really exciting. Um, so we talked, you know, at the beginning, you've had some incredible growth at uh, at Tracksuit, so, uh, you know, fun journey. How did you end up getting into, into this product lead role. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting one. The the journey to product I think is never a linear path. There's not a university degree that will take you into into the role. Even starting out, there's not it can be tough to find junior roles. Typically people jump around and try a few other things and I find the best product managers are those that have tried to do a lot of different things and can bring those different perspectives into the role. So mm-hmm. I came from Crimson Education um, where I worked there for a few years and helped set up their online high school and there I really got a crash course in growth and startups from Jamie Beaton who's one of the best um, learning all things technology, marketing, sales, working with customers and I'd have had enough exposure to a lot of different parts of growing a, 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 a startup yep. that um, I wanted to choose one and narrow down. And it just so turned out that when Traxit was looking for someone to come and run product, what they didn't want was someone that had a tried and true process of kind of running a product. It was someone who had enough exposure to a lot of different areas and that was a generalist and could build a good, strong commercial case for the things that you were building. And so... I stumbled upon Connor and actually who's one of the co-CEOs and co-founders came to him for life advice more than anything and said, look, I've done a little bit of everything. I'm trying to figure out where I narrowed down and, and um, Connor, ever the recruiter said, look, we're building something pretty exciting. We think we could use someone like with your skill set who um, can think really broad and, and jump in and get this, this function started. But I think w- where I was really lucky is that I jumped into the business where there was an existing product that had been built by mm. TRA and previously unavailable. Yes. And so they were always testing whether there was an idea there. Um, the way that Connor and Matt and the team started is they started with some designs, no product at all. Uh, and the question they were trying to answer is, we think there's an opportunity here. We think smaller brands are looking to pay for this. 
but we don't know. And so we're going to go out there with some designs only and see if anyone's willing to pay for a solution. Say, look, we'll go and build it based on these the, these mock-ups. And they found that there was a demand for it. So they went and built a product, uh, did that same thing. They had a working prototype and said, hey, look, we've now got something working to another group of customers. Would you, would you pay for this? If not, why? Constantly learning and tweaking. And they got to a point where they had arrived on a solution that they thought there is something here. There is a need. This product is solving that problem. It's time to actually bring the development of this in-house um, and run with it. And it was at that point that I joined along with a couple of engineers. Um, and so I was sort of gifted this holy grail of a product really that had been built so well and said, right, now now try and grow this thing and take it take it from here. Yeah. Um, and that was my journey into, into Tracksuit, which was only March last year when there was five of us. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And um, um, on the Crimson, Crimson Education front, I'm, I met, I mean, that's been a fairly fast growing and, and, and exciting uh, journey Absolutely. as well, right? So was it helpful bringing that experience into the, into the role with Tracksuit? Yeah, I, I helped bring, um, I worked with some of the team at Crimson to get the online their online high school set up. Yeah. And that was a real whirlwind in the sense that it launched just during COVID, which was when a lot of learning was moving online. Yes. A lot of people didn't have a lot of expertise in this space. And um, coincidentally, it just so happened that Crimson had been thinking about this space for a long time and as they hit the, pulled the trigger and said, yep, let's do this thing, COVID happened, people were forced online. And so we found that, you know, we were growing really, really quickly and there was a lot of lessons learned kind of getting that online high school off the ground and scaling that really quickly. Startups are their own tricky, tricky beasts. And so, yeah, that was definitely kind of my first, my first rodeo and I had a blast, yeah, blast yeah. with them. Yep. What, you know, of those, those learnings have sort of stuck with you as uh, things that are, that might be useful to, to listeners or to others? Yeah, there's, there's probably, there's probably a few things. Um, I would say being really clear on the problem you're solving is, is one. I think in these spaces, there's so many opportunities to do so much good work. Mm. Um, I think it's always coming back to what is the problem that we're solving? Because you'll find tangential problems to solve as you dive into these spaces. So mm. it's, it's mm. always coming back to, you know, what are we, what are we solving? I think the other thing um, that, you know, I reflected on a lot is um, the importance of, of building a, a strong culture um, you know, and this was, you know, something Crimson thought about and so that I've tried to take into tracksuit as well, which is you've to build these businesses, you've got to attract top talent and top talent go to places where it's a great place to, to work. Uh, and I think it's important. It's made me realize, you know, how, how important that is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It can be really hard to find the right talent too, right? It can. Uh, that's the challenge. And then, you know, in New Zealand, we've got that, challenge that the pool is only only so big right right and yeah. we've tried to build you know we, we've taken a bit of a, a stance and said look with everyone being remote we're actually going to try and build a um kind of office first in-person business and you're seeing a lot more companies actually make that decision as well and say mm. remote definitely has its benefits and mm. there is a time and place for it and flexibility is is great but there is also a lot of benefits to being in the same room especially when you're growing really quickly and so we've, we've built a fix a flexible workplace at tracksuit but we're mm. also trying to build it in a way where people actually do want to come in and spend time together um yep. and we've found that to be working really well as a fast-growing place yeah oh that's that's yeah it's quite an interesting one to to tackle isn't it because for different roles and different individuals and different localities you you know you end up with um yeah not necessarily everybody wanting to go in exactly uh exactly the same direction but there's i don't know yeah there's something um you know often that is achieved in person that doesn't necessarily happen uh over a, over a video call and it's funny seeing how things swung to fully remote during COVID and then everyone's been navigating this decision of what is our, how do we think about remote work now that COVID's, I think, touch wood, started to started to settle down. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's a right answer. Different different policies will work for different organisations and yep. for, for different people. But 
sometimes there's nothing more valuable than overhearing a conversation in the office and realizing that someone's working on something that you're also working on and combining yeah. forces. And it's that sort of spontaneity that you sometimes lose um, when everything's scheduled down to the T of you have mm. to meet on Zoom or Google Meet to actually chat rather than you kind of the um, yeah spontaneity of bumping into people around the mm. office. Mm. So... What percentage of your of the team, the tracksuit team, are in Auckland? Um, we have the majority of us are in Auckland. We've got about ten or so in Sydney, a couple in the US, uh, and one or two again in the UK. But I'd say about thirty-five of us um, are here in Auckland, um, and we do have a couple of remote staff. Um, but the way that we've positioned it is they come actually up to Auckland regularly and spend time with everyone in person before going away. But for those in Auckland, it doesn't mean they're in the office every day. You know, we've got people that come in two, three days a week. But we did an office survey recently while we've been trying to figure out, uh, we've been relocating offices, trying to keep up with the growth. Um, yeah, that's got to be a challenge. Oh, it, it is an ongoing challenge. Yeah, it's a great problem to have, but you're kind of shifting from office to office trying to keep up with the with the growth. Um, but we did a survey with the team and said, you know, what days do you enjoy coming into work? Because we and know not everyone's in every day. Yeah. And strangely enough, the days that came back were Monday and Friday, which are not the days normally that people want to come to the office. That's when you want to start your week slow and kind of start your weekend early. But we found we had the opposite. People liked some focus time in the middle of the week yep. and they liked the social side of coming together with their colleagues at the start and the end of the week. Um, and we had 100% agreement in that survey. We'd, the, the, the team that we were working with on kind of the office fit out said they'd never seen a company where there was complete agreement that Mondays yep. and Fridays was the best days to come in to the office and spend time with their colleagues. Mm. Oh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, oh, it's good. You, you know, you've got, obviously got that co cohesiveness as a, as a team and um, that's, uh, that, that's, that's working, uh, working really well. Um, and, and within tracksuit, you know, with growth at that sort of pace, mm. what have you found the most sort of interesting learnings through, through that? I think it's that hiring takes so much more time than you think. <laughs> and when you're small and, you know, you don't have a dedicated recruitment team, the people that are doing the building, the building of the teams um, or the product itself and, and of the business, we're also all simultaneously trying to do the hiring. Um, but we've found that there's just been no shortcut for actually just rolling up your sleeves and trying to meet good, talented people. Yes. And it can be really hard yeah. to outsource some of this stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Um, we've found that, we're all dedicating a lot of our time, but it's the time best best spent um, doing this because we you know we're not we haven't been big enough to have our kind of in-house recruitment team. So um, that's been a really big. It's it, a big learning has been that it's almost a full-time job to think about growing the team as much as it is about growing the business. But it's it's time well spent. Yeah, yeah, I think that's not uh, not always the first thing that people think about, is it? The, it's the easy to go to the low-hanging, like the first good option that you find. You yeah. know, it's easy to jump at the first great hire, but it's being really thoughtful about about that. Um, and then, of course, the job's not done. Um, the, the other half of the job is once you've found that brilliant person is you've got to make a space that's welcoming to them. You've got to get them up to speed. You've got to make sure that they're... Um, you know, they know how the business works and are feeling like they can contribute as well. And so um, that's always a challenge when you're moving this quickly is the moment you write something down and document something, the next day it's out of date. Yeah. You've got to go and rewrite the manual as to how something <laughs> works. And so that's kind of a never-ending um, a never ending wheel that we're always juggling. juggling yeah, around. you have to be on this sort of continuous improvement cycle, don't you? I mean, otherwise things yeah, yeah. things fall, fall, yeah. fall to pieces. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I think that we've found growing really quickly is that always trying to step back and reassess if you've got product market fit. Mm -hmm. um, I think it can be easy to think that the product that you've cr created, you know, once it's there, it is the, the, the solution and it doesn't need to change. But the market changes, um, you know, what customers are wanting changes as well. Uh, it changes in different regions as well. So we've always been trying to think about how do we make sure that the, the product that we have is the right fit again mm. to the problem that we're trying to, to solve. And that's tough to keep up with when you're, when you're growing so quickly as well. So, yeah. 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 So, I mean, how, how have you sort of, you know, stayed on the ball with that? What's great is... Um, our co-founders, Matt and Connor in particular, I mean, they're 
the way that they think about kind of their roles is number of conversations. You know, they mm -hmm. are speaking to people, both existing customers, prospective customers. I think that's something that's channeled throughout the organization. Um, I'll be trying to speak with a, a customer a week. I'll be trying to listen to a call with a prospective customer once a week as well. And so you're mm. always trying to keep in touch. Yep. I think I always step away from those conversations with customers, understanding, oh, I, I didn't think that thing was a problem, but turns out, you know, when that user on the other side of your piece of software is sitting there in their day job, um, there is some friction there or there's something, there is a pain point that you didn't think existed. And so you always come away from those conversations realizing that there's, there is something to, to work on. So I think there's no shortcut to just sitting there speaking to customers. Um, you, you just have, have, have to do it. And sometimes not trying to lead them to the answer as well. Uh, I think the most telling conversations and one of the most enjoyable parts of my job is actually asking people, why did you buy Tracksuit? Um, and how are you using it day to day? What's prompting you to log in? When you log in, what do you do? Yep. You might think you know the answer to those things, why they bought and what they do when they log in, but hearing them explain it um, can open up a whole world of, I, I didn't realize that you were using it in that way. That's so interesting that you're, you're trying to achieve that outcome with this data. And um, so it's those conversations that can be really fun and, re and rewarding and keep you close. Yep, yep. Oh, that's really that's really good. Um, well, it sounds like there's there's plenty to keep you uh, keep you busy and 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 engaged, and uh, it's a pretty exciting time at, at Tracksuit for the whole team. Yeah, the big question now is um, moving overseas as well. We found the solution has been working here in NZ, and the solution's been working in Aussie, and so the next markets for us are, are the US and the and the UK, um, and so that's where we're kind of gunning towards over the next. Um, next 12 months. Oh, that's exciting. Well, definitely, um, you know, wish you all the best on on the, that, that next uh, next phase yeah. with the business. Uh, it's, that's, that's really good. Um, now, if people are wanting to find out a, a little bit more, maybe they're thinking, oh, Tracksuit's the next company uh, I'd like to work for. Yeah. Um, yeah, where do people go and, and, and have a look? I might regret doing this, but um, I'm always happy to for people to email me personally. Again, you know, spending time meeting people is is one of the, mo the, the most important things we can do. So one, they can email me personally, harry at, at gotracksuit.com. Yeah. Um, super easy. But otherwise, our website, gotracksuit.com, um, is the place to go. And there's a careers page there and more information about our company. Uh, and the other thing is you'll find us on LinkedIn um, with a company that's been very focused on brand. We're thinking about our own brand. And so with a name mm. like Tracksuit, we've actually yep. given everyone our own tracksuits to wear. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so you'll find us very active on LinkedIn, posting photos and some tracksuits that you can go and see. Uh, our tradition is every time someone new joins the team, we'll take a photo of them in a tracksuit and put it on the company LinkedIn page and say, look, here's Paul who's just joined the team in his new purple tracksuit. So yep. you can find us on LinkedIn of uh, of all places as well. Yeah, yeah. And just to avoid any confusion, I haven't I haven't joined the, the team <laughs> at, the, at, at this point. We, we can get you a tracksuit tracksuit though if you'd like one. <laughs> That sounds cool. Now, one thing I forgot to mention, we were sort of talking through some of the some of the tech news actually, and you you mentioned of LinkedIn sort of uh, helped remind me of a post and and a video that was put online in the in the last uh, few days, and it's sort of a crossover with some of the things we've been talking about and telecommunications. We've been talking about space and so on, and what we know is that you know our our three major telcos in New Zealand. Are all uh, you know racing towards providing satellite uh, coverage right. um, around New Zealand, and so I've sort of just been fascinated by the number of SpaceX launches. They just seem to be continuous, but they're putting up their new Starlink uh, Gen Two satellite. So they've gone from launching, I don't know, something like fifty-two satellites uh, per. Per launch to 22, which is because they're they're much bigger and more capable. And my understanding is these new satellites are the the cellular, you know, capable ones. Mm. So that's happening. So they're just rolling them out, you know, so fast. I I haven't kept track with how many of them, you know, are up there uh, now. But that's what you know One NZ are going to be using for their coverage. And then we've had uh, Link, who are going to be providing. Uh, the capabilities for Two Degrees and, and Spark. And Two Degrees posted, uh, it was probably about a, a week ago actually, that they've uh, they've done their uh, initial uh, trial, or they've, they've done a trial or a test in the Hanua uh, Ranges uh, near Auckland and have actually done a, a satellite 
uh, voice call. Uh, so mm. um, so it's it's coming together in the background, and it won't be hopefully not a million miles off before you know as, as Kiwis we can get access to uh, you know to that much that much broader coverage, which will start with 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 texting because there won't be you know consistently. Uh, satellites with with the cellular capability, you know, over us all the t- all the time, um, and and it will be very interesting actually to see that difference between what uh, two degrees and Spark can get with uh, with Link, and then you know probably rolling out a, a smaller, uh, you know, much smaller sort of number of of uh, satellites presumably uh, to what Starlink does, but um, you know, Link and 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 two degrees. Uh, I guess get uh, a little bit of a feather in their cap for for doing this initial um, this initial you know voice call uh, recently. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's really exciting to 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 see this sort of technology you know um, happening Zealand, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah coming to New Zealand you know very very quickly comparatively to a, a lot of parts of the world. The the announcements are uh, you know very close to to the forefront. So yeah. Very cool. Well, um, a big thank you uh, for coming on the show. Really, uh, no really problem. appreciate it, Harry Flett. Also, a thank you to our uh, show partners, to uh, Gorilla Technology, HP, uh, Two Degrees, Spark, and One NZ for their support of the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast. We will, of course, be back again with another episode next week. Uh, if you've been watching uh, or listening to the live stream, uh, be sure to fire up your podcast app, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, etc., um, and follow the show on uh, on a podcast app. And of course, if you're listening to the audio, which is always the the, the bulk of our uh, audience, then um, do you know make sure you follow us on on any of the platforms that you you catch videos on. You can subscribe to NZ Tech Podcast or follow on uh, on YouTube on. Twitter or as an X, Facebook, uh, and the live streams on LinkedIn are, are usually from my account. So, uh, you know, feel free to follow me, Paul Spain, on uh, on LinkedIn. Or if you'd like to connect with me, go ahead. Just let me know that you're a you're a listener. Great, great Thanks, to chat. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Yeah. Cheers. Likewise, been good to have you. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.